Hello, this is C.P. Clapper. This is a podcast of my reaction to a video that was put out by Representative-elect Ocasio-Cortez. I call it Ocasio-Cortez and the three chambers of government. Far from being the ramblings of a dilettante, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez's video presents a model of the democracy with which she intends to replace the Federal Union to overthrow the United States of America. Her demagoguery should not be underestimated. She is advancing democratic propaganda which, if unanswered by equally persuasive arguments, will surely sink this country into the abyss of a totalitarian democratic empire. Those of us who know the Constitution are well aware of the three branches of federal government it establishes. The legislative branch is established in Congress, with its Senate and House. The executive branch is headed by the President and Vice President, though the Vice President's duties are in the Senate. The judicial branch is headed by the Supreme Court, whose justices are appointed by the President with the advice and consent of the Senate. Together, they are a finely balanced system of checks and balances, intended to limit federal government actions to what has a consensus. In a democracy, there are no branches of government, just one government with many houses or chambers. In the British democracy, there are the Houses of Parliament, the House of Lords, and the House of Commons, plus the Royal House, currently the House of Windsor. The parliamentary system is designed for action over any objections, just as democracy is itself rule over the people. Consider also the form and purpose of our chambers in the branch which Democrats intend to change into a chamber. We have two chambers of Congress, both of which are supposed to represent the states, just with different sizes of delegations and different purviews. The President executes the legislation of Congress and is elected by the states with different delegations from those in Congress, in an electoral college. In the original articles, neither Congress nor the President are part of a democracy. Neither is democratically elected. Instead, the representatives are chosen, the electors are chosen, and the senators are appointed. This the proponents of democracy abhor. They want democratic elections for it all. The Supreme Court is, in their view, indirectly elected through the President and the Senate and is therefore not a chamber. Perhaps it is an inn. Therefore, their aim is a democracy of three chambers and an inn, all of which they alone inhabit. Any other view, any other policy, however meritorious for the people in general, is evicted from government and left to languish along the or the highway. For the democracy, for Democrats, have no regard for the welfare of the people, wanting only the spoils of conquest. What is our defense? The vigorous offense which eradicates democracy. First, slavery and indentured servitude need to be completely abolished. No prisoner should be allowed to work, because any work by a prisoner is slavery. This will keep the democratic mercantilists 
from profiting off that slave labor, thereby choking off that democratic privilege at its source. Without slavery, and without the democratic privilege which slave labor enables, the entire hierarchy of democracy crumbles. Second, citizens must be liberated from the bonds of wage employment. Democratic apologists, on both the left and the right, seeking to preserve an avenue for privilege, like to belittle an unconditional provision of the necessities. Yet they espouse a provision of the necessities of their own, a provision conditioned on employment. Indeed, their working for a living is woefully inefficient and requires giving massive subsidies and special imperialist favors to their mercantilist and labor union cronies, just to keep a few lousy jobs in the country. The truth is, a provision of the necessities without condition or requirement is the most efficient way of paying this cost of sovereignty, as well as being its most liberating. I prove this in popular capitalism. You can read it there. For argument here, though, the liberation of the people from the democratic categories of worker and consumer is key. With that liberation, the democratic privilege with which votes are bought in a democracy is removed. Third, people must be allowed to form communist households. These households are not only more extensive than the nuclear and a subatomic households favored by the democratic paradigm of one person, one vote, they not only encompass well-extended families spanning four generations and several cousin lines in a single large dwelling. There are colleges of dozens of those extended families. In my latest formulation, I propose that the colleges consist of 28 extended families, with each extended family having about 42 members. Having a such structured college of approximately 1,176 members assures an intimate and fulfilling life for its members, as well as the capacity to spare a dozen or so for service to their republic and beyond. In other words, the republican model of sending delegates, of supplying civil servants, of maintaining a rich academic and cultural life, and of allowing members of the militia to be called is maintained without any need for a vote or elections. Thus, elections are obviated. If we advance this program, we will eradicate democracy with all of its bigotry, greed, division, and hate. Instead, we will find ourselves in a political economy built on love, communism, and republicanism. We will find ourselves home.